Chapter forty two of the Apostle of Alaska The Story of William Duncan of Metlakatla by John W. Arctander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. The Grand Old Man. The fame of the mission of Metlakatla has traveled all over Alaska and it is now generally recognized as the only successful missionary undertaking in all the great northland even those in alaska who have no use for churches and no faith in missionaries priests or ministers make an exception of father duncan as he is generally called in the great northwest the roughest miner the most godless gambler the most errant infidel will take his hat off to him that is merely an evidence of the general respect with which a great unselfish but successful christian man and his accomplishments inspire everybody even though they be not believing christians if mr duncan should be asked for his views as to why metlakatla has proven such a contrast to the pronounced failures surrounding it he would undoubtedly after having insisted on giving god the glory first and last say first i have always from the first given these natives the gospel message in their own language i would never speak to them either through an interrupter or in the trading jargon footnote his way of spelling interpreter End footnote. second i have kept out all sects and denominational rule we are simply christians nothing else at metlakatla the word of god has united us not split us up into parties and we love and treat all evangelical christians as our brethren third by removing those who came under the influence of the gospel away from heathen and bad white influences and by as much as possible keeping them and their children uncontaminated by bad associations to this i would like to add a further reason for the success of metlakatla viz fourth the combination so rare that it becomes almost miraculous of an excellent christian preacher filled with the holy ghost and a first-class practical businessman in the person of the missionary in charge mr duncan has naturally after his sad experience no use for missionary societies or missionary boards according to his idea successful missions fostered under their care come to exist not propter hoc nor even post hoc but in spite of hawk his conception of an ideal mission is one conducted by a practical god-fearing missionary selected from the midst of a christian congregation and supported by it or at the most by two or three congregations who conclude to do this work together he thinks that with direct communication thus continuously existing between the congregation and preferably between individual members of it and the missionary far better results will be obtained than by the present complex machinery which naturally has a tendency to foster a spirit of intervention dictatorialness and short authority in the executive board which must have anything but a healthy effect on the growth of a christian mission some way or another mr duncan always makes me think of paul the apostle to the gentiles not only in his metal makeup and splendid determination but in his appearance there is something that reminds me of the picture i carry in my mind of the great apostle short of stature stocky a strong bald head a full white beard sparkling bright blue eyes and ruddy cheeks like a bonny country lassie there is such a virility such courage and such youthful power emanating from him 
that it seems almost incredible that the snows of seventy-six winters have fallen on his devoted head when you observe the erect carriage the elastic step the almost electric activity and when the fire of the sparkling laughing eyes lights yours and you hear the sonorous persuasive voice relating some interesting incident in his wonderful life you simply refuse to believe that any more than at the outside fifty years can have been so far the span of his life you fully believe him when he tells you that he has never been sick in bed for a day in his long life he is indeed a walking evangel of the simple life and shows it in every feature no one who has enjoyed the privilege of sitting under the spell of his conversational powers will ever be able to forget the impression made upon him and if that is the case with us who have only heard him converse in english what must it be to those who can understandingly listen when he converses in tsimshian the language in which he himself says he both thinks and dreams his great kindness is writ in large letters all over his face and the glad smiles of the children of metlakahtla when they come into the sunshine of his eyes bear witness to it mr and mrs wallace tell me that during the ten years they have lived with him as everyday companions year in and year out he has never spoken a cross word a man with a temper as sweet as that ought to be married but he has thought otherwise and is a confirmed old bachelor one evening four years ago as we sat one moonlit night on the veranda and a spell of reminiscence came over him i suppose he said that if any one when he was twenty years of age or so should have told him that he would live his life as an old bachelor and never get married he would have laughed heartily at their ignorance i had my friends and acquaintances among the young ladies he said and while i probably never was what you would call really in love there were some i liked very well indeed i always enjoyed lady society and do to this day during the first ten or even twenty years of my sojourn among the indians my friends in victoria were very busy trying to find a helpmate for me some of them even went so far as to send ladies whom they wanted me to marry on trips up the coast but while i of course appreciated their kindness i would much have preferred to make my own choice if i had felt so inclined after a short silence i even had a love letter once would you believe it a lady in victoria wrote me that she had admired me from the first day she had heard of my work and still more so after she met me and that she gladly would have become my wife and joined me in my work had i asked her but that i never asked that she before she on the morrow was to become another honourable man's wife thought she would close these pages of her life by telling me what her feelings had been and she was no old maid neither he added with a humorous twinkle in his eye she was a fine-looking young girl and a very good woman i guess she wanted me to know what i had missed would you mind telling me the real reason you never married i asked was it not because your experience with mrs tugwell the first lady missionary sent out to you prejudiced you against all women oh no he said i had better sense than that i knew very well there were a few of them who could make biscuits but i made up my mind that i could not conscientiously ask any refined woman to come up and share my lonely life among the indians hundreds of miles from all the comforts of life i knew well enough that i could ask no one else to make the sacrifice i made i knew that nothing would have been so precious to me as human sympathy and interest in my work no greater help to me 
than to have some one share my sorrows and troubles as well as my joys and my glorious experiences but i also knew that what was promised in enthusiasm might be rude after years of hard trial and that the time might come when i might be compelled to give up my life work at the solicitation of a wife who had become tired of the tribulations of a career among the indians in brief i made up my mind that my life work was of greater importance to me than domestic happiness and so i pursued my solitude and still i am wrong in calling it solitude god was with me do you know when i returned to england in eighteen eighty five and met an agnostic who expressed doubt about god's existence i said to him sir do not talk that way to me i have been in god's presence during my solitude among the savages there have been times when i felt god's very presence when it seemed to me that i even saw his face and as mr duncan's eyes glowed when he said it and as his face shone in the moonlight i really believed that he had i thought i could see in it the reflection of yahweh's glory like every old bachelor of course mr duncan has his peculiarities thus he allows no person to come into his bedroom for these many years he has persisted in making his own bed and himself takes care of his immediate belongings even his office must be free from female interference it is only on rare occasions when he has been away perhaps once every four or five years that mrs wallace has had the privilege of dusting and cleaning it and putting things in order but after such a house cleaning it takes him quite a while until he gets everything back into that beautiful disorder the mixture on the floor and chairs and shelves and tables of books and boxes and papers and letters which enables him to find anything he wants when he wants it because he remembers just where he put it and how many other layers have been placed above it for he has a memory which seems almost superhuman he not only practically knows the whole bible by heart but he can reel off whole sentences from books that he has read perhaps years ago and recite hymns and songs at pleasure names of the most insignificant person whom he has met once in his life forty fifty or even sixty years ago seem to come as readily to his tongue as if they were impressed on his mind but yesterday one day some three years ago i stood near him on the dock at metlakatla as the spokane with a large number of excursionists was about getting away a kind-hearted elderly lady who had shown great interest in the work asked him what have you done about a successor what is to become of this glorious work when you die he did not answer in words the index finger of his right hand was lifted on high pointing up into the sky above it was not done for effect i saw a glorious ray of faith in his eye i then believed that god would provide i still so believe and yet i betray no professional secret for mr duncan has himself spoken of it to the indians when i say that he has to my knowledge in his will provided that all he owns in the world is after his death to go into the hands of three intimate friends to be by them held in trust for the benefit of the indians for the purpose of maintaining among them the same christian work in the same spirit as it has by him been carried on we all hope and trust however that god will give him many years of life and of work to his glory yet but when the time comes when his life work shall be ended and god the almighty father shall want him to come home 
i hope it will be to his good fortune to look for the last time into the indescribably rich beauty of a glorious alaska sunset and that the lord of hosts as he took elijah of old will send down his chariot of fire in which to take to the paradise of the christ above the sunlit clouds his venerable lovable servant william duncan the apostle of alaska end of chapter forty two end of the apostle of alaska the story of william duncan of metlakatla by john w arctander